from the book of Ephesians, Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapter 5, Ephesians chapter 5, starting at verse 15, Paul has come to that part of his letter. The first three chapters are what God has done for us, who he is and what he has done for us in Christ. And starting in chapter 4, 5, and 6, it's how we're to respond to what God has done. The grace then precedes all of our doing. And so chapter 4, 5, and 6 is our response. And so notice starting down at verse 15 what Paul says. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit." addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So now we're turning to Isaiah chapter 33. If you turn to Isaiah 33, it's page 593 in the Blue Bibles. Isaiah 33. We're taking a break. We finished the series from Baited to Abided where we worked through all of Ecclesiastes and next week we will actually pick up our series in James. We'll start our series in James and I'll tell you more about that next week. But that'll be next week. But I thought we would take a one-off today and deal with Isaiah 33. And so I'm going to read the whole chapter. Ah, you destroyer, who yourself have been destroyed. You traitor, whom none has betrayed. When you have ceased to destroy, you will be destroyed. And when you have finished betraying, you will betray, you will, they will betray you. O oh Lord, be gracious to us. We wait for you. Be our arm every morning, our salvation in the time of trouble. At the tumultuous noise, peoples flee. When you lift yourself up, nations are scattered and your spoil is gathered as the caterpillar gathers, as locusts leap, it is leapt upon the Lord is exalted, for He dwells on high. He will fill Zion with justice and righteousness, and He will be the stability of your times, abundance of salvation, wisdom and knowledge. The fear of the Lord is Zion's treasure. Behold, their heroes cry in the streets. The envoys of peace weep bitterly. The highways lie waste. The traveler ceases. Covenants are broken. Cities are despised. There is no regard for man. The land mourns and languishes. Lebanon is confounded and withers away. Sharon is like a desert, and Bashan and Carmel shake off their leaves. Now I will arise, says Yahweh. How I, now I will lift myself up. Now I will be exalted. You conceive chaff or chaff. You give birth to stubble. Your breath is a fire that will consume you, and the peoples will be as if burned to lime, like thorns cut down that are burned in the fire. Hear, you are, who are far off what I have done, and you who are near acknowledge my might. The sinners in Zion are afraid. Trembling has seized the godless. Who among us can dwell with the consuming fire? Who among us can dwell with the everlasting burnings? He who walks righteously and speaks uprightly, who despises the gain of oppressions, who shakes his hand lest they hold a bribe, who stops his ears from hearing of bloodshed and shuts his eyes from looking on evil. He will dwell on the heights. His place of defense will be the fortress of rocks. His bread will be given him. His water will be sure. 
your eyes will behold the king and his beauty, and they will see a land that stretches afar. Your heart will muse on the terror. Where is he who counted? Where is he who weighed the tribute? Where is he who counted the towers? You will see no more the insolent people, the people of an obscure speech that you cannot comprehend, stammering in a tongue that you cannot understand. Behold, Zion, the city of our appointed feasts. Your eyes will see Jerusalem, an untroubled habitation, an immovable tent, whose stakes will never be plucked up, nor will any of its cords be broken. But there, the Lord in majesty will be for us. A place of broad rivers and streams where no galley with oars can go, nor majestic ship can pass. For the Lord, for Yahweh is our judge, Yahweh is our lawgiver, Yahweh is our king, He will save us. Your cords hang loose, they cannot hold the mast firm in its place or keep the sail spread out. Then prey and spoil and abundance will be divided, even the lame will take the prey. And no inhabitant will say, I am sick. The people who dwell there will be forgiven their iniquity. What I've read to you from the New Testament and the Old Testament is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Almighty God, You did not spare Your only begotten Son, but You gave Him up for us to bear our sins upon the hard wood of the cross. Grant that our faith may become so fixed with steadfast faith in Him that we would fear not power, the power, prestige, assaults, or advancements of sin, society, death, or the devil. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So we are taking a break from a, from series. This is, like I said, a one-off. Some of this you will have heard back in 2016 when we were just coming to a presidential election. Some of it you will have heard in the pastoral letter in 2020 in the middle of a pandemic. I'm going to be focusing primarily on verse 5 and 6. Chapter 33, verse 5 and 6. So do please keep your Bibles open so you can see what I'm talking about. Verse 5 and 6 is full of good news. But what, but what displays the bright fullness of the good news is the backdrop of bad news that surrounds these two verses, along with the vivid splashes of pledges that are neighboring it. The dark scene that is bordering verse 5 and 6 is full. If you were listening, you know it. It was full of smoke and slaughter and stench, and screams, and shock. Verse 1, verses 7-12 through 12 and following. But the vivid splashes of color are the promises that you hear when you get down to verses 13-24. through 24. The promises that seem to capitalize upon an, an event, a set of events that was to happen some 800 years later that capitalize upon the ascension of Christ. Verse 13, your eyes will behold His beauty. And seem to capitalize upon the day of Pentecost that happened 50 years, 50 days after the ascension. They will see the land that stretches afar. But there the Lord in majesty will be for us a place of broad rivers and streams. Rivers and streams are often language for the Holy Spirit. And then this punchline in verse 22 is what gives all of this teeth. For the Lord is our judge, the Lord is our lawgiver, the Lord is our king, He will save us. I love the fact that that verse lists characteristics of God that make most people tremble 
that make most people say cringe and say, oh, I don't want to hear about that God. But I want you to notice how it all is about salvation. The Lord is our judge. He will save us. The Lord is our lawgiver. He will save us. The Lord is our king. He will save us. That verse gives the promises of verse 5 and 6 teeth and a punch. So let's turn then back to verse 5 and 6 and see what he will be. And first I want you to observe how how verse 5 and 6 are flowing out of verses 2 through 4. Verse 2 through 4 is a prayer. O Lord, be gracious to us. We wait for you. Be our arm every morning, our salvation, the time of trouble, etc. And that prayer is about national catastrophe and chaos. Dear friends, do you want a prayer that you can use when you are most worried about what's going on in larger social circles? Then why not Isaiah 33? Verses 2 through 4. What a great prayer. And so that's the prayer, but so then, right after the prayer, God begins to reply to his prayer, and it's verses 5 through 6. Verses 5 through 6 The Lord is exalted, for he dwells on high, and he will fill Zion with justice and righteousness, and he will be the stability of our times, abundance of salvation, wisdom, and knowledge. The fear of the Lord is Zion's treasure. It's a great set of verses. And so we're going to unpack it. I think there's four S's. I tried to stay with S's. Right? I think there's four S's there. The sermon notes are in the back of your worship guide. And the first one is surrounded. I want you to think about Oreo cookies. Who likes Oreo cookies? Raise your hand. Bless you. Bless you one and all. So you think about an Oreo cookie. What's on both ends of the Oreo cookie? Yeah, chocolate cookies, right, on both sides, right? They surround it. And what's in the middle? Yeah, the white creamy stuff that everybody wants to tear apart and get it out first, right? So think of an Oreo cookie. That's verses 5 through 6. Okay, so the chocolate cookie is actually the first line of verse 5 and the last line of verse 6. That's the new chocolate cookie. So here's the first chocolate cookie. The first line is that is what every faithful Christian minister who knows is Right? Gold standard currency, right? So the fear of the Lord is our revenue. It's our treasury. My friends, we need to get that concept. 
Because as humans, we are too quick to, to deflate our currency, to cheapen our currency. The fear of the Lord is Zion's treasure. Oh, I would rather have an informal relationship with God. I don't want to have to have this fear of the Lord stuff, for crying out loud. The fear of the Lord is Zion's treasure. What Lord? The Lord who is exalted and dwells on high. The fear of the Lord is Zion's treasure. My friends, that's exactly what we get reminded of often in the book of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. You heard it from Proverbs and our call to worship from chapter, uh, chapter um, 11 or chapter 14. The fear of the Lord and the fear of the Lord. One has strong confidence and his children will have a refuge. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. Or the concluding statement in Ecclesiastes. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments for this is, this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every work into judgment including every secret thing whether good or evil. Oh, but it's a New Testament virtue. I think we forget that sometimes. The fear of the Lord is our treasure as a church. In 2 Corinthians 7, Paul says so. So in 2 Corinthians 6, Paul talks about the promises that are there, right? Sometimes we like to put darkness with light and we shouldn't do that. But then Paul lays out these promises from the Old Testament. You are, God has said, you are His sons and daughters and you are His temple. And then he says this in 2 Corinthians 7 verse 1. Since we have these promises. Since we have these promises. Beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Did you hear that? It's a New Testament virtue. And so when you hear me fence the table at communion time, and I talk about if you're a member of a Bible-believing, God-fearing, Christ-loving church, I'm not giving you three different separate categories that are at odds with each other. I'm giving you three separate categories that actually go together. A Bible-believing church is a God-fearing church is a Christ-loving church. And you can go the other direction. Does that make sense? And so, there's our treasure. There's our currency. Fear of the Lord is Zion's treasure. So there's the two chocolate cookies on our Oreo. And so sandwiched between the two surrounding statements are four savory, sweet morsels that we want to wrap our tongues around like we do that creamy middle in our Oreo cookie that beef up our hope. And here they are. First off is splendor. Notice in verse 5, He's exalted, He dwells on high, He will fill Zion with justice and righteousness. God's splendor. These two virtues, righteousness and justice, these two virtues are coupled together in Isaiah 12 times. 12 times. Righteousness and justice are said together in Isaiah. They become top drawer themes in Isaiah. So for example, in chapter 1, verse 27, it is in justice and righteousness that we find God's rescue. Zion shall be redeemed by justice and those who are and those in her who repent by righteousness. And then in chapter 5 of Isaiah verse 16 it is in and with justice and righteousness 
that God is exalted. But the Lord of hosts is exalted in justice, and the holy God shows Himself holy in righteousness. Oh, but my friends, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7, there we see justice and righteousness swelling to a, a loud, crashing crescendo, crescendo, sorry, crescendo in Jesus the Messiah. Two verses you say every Christmas. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Notice how those two qualities capitalize. They come to this large crescendo and it's all about Jesus. By the way, just as a side note, when I pray for our presbytery and I pray for our denomination of Christ's church, I use Isaiah 9, 6 and 7 all the time. And I invite you to do the same. Praying to the one upon whose shoulders is the government, the one who is wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, who sits upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, and that, that he would establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. Consider Isaiah 9, 6 and 7 to use in your praying for our presbytery, our congregation, and our denomination. My friends, this righteousness, righteousness and justice together, this is what we should long for. This is what we should lean toward. It's what we should pray for regularly. That Christ would really fill His church with justice and righteousness to the point that our cup really does run over. That justice and righteousness, justice and righteousness would spill out into our streets and shops and societies. It's like our neighbor next door. He's dead now. May he rest in peace and rise in glory. But Roger has this, had this pool in the backyard and he was very meticulous about his pool. And when his pool would fill up with rainwaters and stuff, you know what he would do? He did this almost religiously. He would let the, you guys know, you have a pool. He would let, drain the water back out of the pool to a certain point to where it finally gets, you know, where it's not putting stress on the concrete and stuff, right? Well, during the hot summer, do you know what the favorite time of the morning was? When it's been, you know, hot and sweltering all week long was when he let the water out of his pool because it smelled so yummy, right? Water. Smells, okay, I'm weird. Water smells yummy when it's blazing hot. And so he shared. In a sense, his pool was so full, it spilled out into the neighborhood. In the same way, that's what we should long for and lean toward and yearn for. That God would fill His church with righteousness and justice to the point that it spills out and splashes over into our streets and our shops and our society. Why is that? Well, how about Proverbs 21, verse 3? To do righteousness and justice is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. It's God's desire for His church. Amos 5, 24 is one of those passages that get misused all the time to refer to social justice when it's actually about the church. 
It's God's desire for His church. Let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream coming down in abundance upon us that it just continues to go forth from us. That's the point. He will fill Zion with justice and righteousness. My friends, justice and righteousness filling, filling Christ's church begins as we turn to Christ. As we turn to Him who died for His people's transgressions, as we heard in the assurance of pardon today, who died for His people's transgressions and rose up from the dead for their justification, their justice, their being made right. Whereas Paul himself goes on to say in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21, for our sakes God made Him who knew no sin to become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. As we noticed in a Sunday evening series that we did just recently on duplex gratia, that's the fancy Greek or Latin phrase, the double grace, referring to John Calvin's statement, Calvin once remarked, this is my paraphrase, but what God declares of us, He makes true in us. What God declares of us, right with God, you're on now God's good side, you're just, you're right. What God declares of us, He makes true in us. So, also as the Apostle Paul puts it in Romans chapter 6, for just as you once presented yourselves your, your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. He will fill Zion with justice and righteousness. We always long for You'll notice how the Gospel is the center of that. And so, dear friends, pray. Pray for God to fill His church with the splendor of His justice and righteousness. But then... The verse goes on in verse 5. Stability. If you're looking at your Bibles, it's the next phrase or statement. And He will be the stability of your times. Now there's a statement. He will be the stability of your times. And when you look at Isaiah 33, you know what kind of times He's talking about. And He will be the stability of your times. There's a statement worth remembering. There's a statement worth repeating. There's a statement worth ruminating over. Dear friends, in the face of all of the hype and hysteria during campaign seasons, when a vote for any or either candidate is touted as the demise of the world, the downfall of America, the decline of liberty, remember, and He will be the stability of your times. When there's war raging that is decimating millions of lives and livelihoods to the point that fuel prices go through the ceiling and fertilizer is outrageous in our farming and therefore all the things you get in the grocery store start jumping up in a price and all of those things. In the midst of something like that, remember, and He will be the stability of your time. Where Facebook posts and Twitter tweets and social media static shout angry apocalyptic attacks. He will be the stability of your times. As the global galactic and intergalactic, for you Star Trek fans, 
for the global galactic and intergalactic fabric as it is rocking and um, and ripping around at the seams. Remember, hold on, and he will be the stability of your times. My friends, it is good to run back to this promise, to this truth, to this hope. That is signed, sealed, and delivered in God's Son. And He will be the stability of your times. I don't think we Christians in North America believe God. And He will be the stability of your times. Now, it doesn't mean that, that when you're traveling down the life, you know, the I 35 of your life, that there won't be potholes and pits that will knock your front end out of alignment. But it does mean that we have hope as we have and are held by the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It means that we have every reason to embrace, for example, the vocation that God gave to Isaiah that we read before the confession of sin from Isaiah 8. For Yahweh spoke thus to me with His strong hand upon me. And He warned me not to walk in the way of this people, saying, do not call conspiracy what all that this people calls conspiracy, and do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. But the Lord of hosts, Him you shall honor as holy. Let Him be your fear. Let Him be your dread. My friends, if the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ is your God, He is exalted and He does dwell on high and He will be the stability of your times. If your job goes belly up, He will be the stability of your times. If your marriage crumbles and the center can no longer hold, He will be the stability of your times. If the screeching tires and shattering glass slams into your family, He will be the stability of your times. If the bleak black storm clouds swirl around your heads and hearts and break out with terrifying flashes, horrifying howls of wind and rain, remember, He will be the stability of your times. And if you want to know how you know that's the case, look at the cross. Look at the cross and know that in the midst of the blood, the stench, and the sweat, and the brutality, and the injustice, both religiously and politically, of the crucifixion, God brought life, and He brought wholeness, and He brought healing. And if you gaze there, then you can say, even through the tears and through the worries, He will be the stability of your time. Stability. But also salvation. This is all part of that creamy middle of your Oreo cookie here. Salvation. Notice the next phrase, abundance of salvation. The phrase that began the last statement, and he shall be, goes with this statement and the next one. He shall be the abundance of salvation. Now before I get into the word abundance, let's talk about salvation, and then you'll understand the abundance part. Salvation in Scripture is a colossal word. It's a huge word, actually. It doesn't just mean what 
Often evangelicals in North America thinks it means that God is just saving my puny, ghostly soul, and that's all that matters. But by the historical fact that Jesus became fully human, the eternal Son of God became man, and so was and continueth to be God and man in two distinct natures and one person forever, because of that historical fact, then you can say and know that the abundance of salvation, that God is our salvation, means that He is also rescuing, saving us, body, soul, psychology or psychologically, emotionally. He is saving us fully. Oh, abundance of salvation. Yes. But more than that, salvation also includes His rescuing His people from sin, society, death, and the devil. Or again, as a shorter catechism puts it, from His and our enemies. Abundance of salvation. But even more than that, He's also saving all of creation, the cosmos. As Paul points out in Romans 8, the creation itself will be set free, will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God, Romans 8, 21. In our rescue, in our resurrection, creation will be rescued and resurrected. Oh, the abundance of salvation, indeed. Saving His planet and His people. And I'm only just scratching the surface of the word salvation in Scripture. He will be the abundance of salvation. But also sagacity, sagacity, uh, whatever. It's sagacity, I guess. We'll call it that. Wisdom and knowledge, he goes on to say. He will be the abundance of wisdom and knowledge. Sagacity is that highfalutin word for wisdom, something you can impress your doctor with if you use it on occasion. He will be wisdom and knowledge. Now you may recall in the book of Proverbs that having wisdom and knowledge and having God actually go together hand in glove. Real wisdom and knowledge and having God go together hand in glove. For example, in Proverbs chapter 2, when we call out for insight and we raise our voice for understanding, when we seek it like silver and search for it like hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. And sure enough, God's wisdom comes to meet us in God in the flesh. Colossians chapter 2, verse 3, Christ In Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. It is here, my friends, with Jesus, upon whom the Spirit rests, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, whose delight is in the fear of the Lord. It is here with this Jesus upon whom the Spirit of the Lord rests that we come to encounter and connect with the Lord, with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, who is exalted and dwells on high. We come to encounter the Lord who will be our stability. We come to encounter the the Lord who is the abundance of salvation, wisdom, and knowledge. It is here that we come to be, we come to be embraced by the Lord, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we come to find Isaiah 33, 22. Ah, the Lord is our judge. 
The Lord is our lawgiver. The Lord is our king. He will save us. It's there as you come to Christ that you find this Lord as lawgiver, judge, and king. And you find that it's full of good news. He will save us. And so, my friends, as the Apostle Paul directs us in Ephesians 5, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Isn't that funny that Paul wrote that 2,000 years ago? Sounds like he could have wrote it today. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of your time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And we just talked about the will of the Lord in Isaiah 33, 5-6. The way you begin to be sober-minded as Paul is describing things here. The way you come to be reasonable and have your heads firmly on your shoulders is to come to entrust yourself not to your circumstances. To entrust yourself not to your happiness. To entrust yourself not to your comfort. To entrust yourself not, as Francis Schaeffer said, we would do in America that we would sell our souls for this, not for personal peace and affluence. No, no. Entrust yourself to the Lord. Well, why would I do that? I just spent 30 minutes telling you why. The Lord is exalted. He dwells on high. And He will fill Zion with justice and righteousness. And He will be the stability of your times, abundance of salvation, wisdom and knowledge. The fear of the Lord is Zion's treasure. Let's pray. Well, Lord our God, we come to You beginning adoring You because You are exalted. You dwell on high. You are over all earth's circumstances. No matter what goes on behind closed doors that are bulletproof and bombproof in Moscow or, uh, or in Washington, D.C., You are exalted and dwell on high. No matter what schemes or plans people put together, You are exalted and dwell on high. So Lord, we confess to You that there are times we have taken our wonderful treasure and we have turned it in for cheap things. But the fear of the Lord is Zion's treasure. Lord, forgive us for when we have looked to fear other things more than we fear You. Forgive us for looking to trust other things more than we trust You. The fear of the Lord is Zion's treasure. And so, Lord, we do pray. We pray for us, our families, ourselves personally, our congregation, our presbytery, our denomination of your church. We pray that you would fill Zion with justice and righteousness. That it would...
your Son, our Lord and Savior. Amen.